Hello and welcome to Blue Royalty, a London's Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessica Humphreys, joined by Abdullah Abdullah for the first Blue Royalty of 2024. Abdullah, any New Year's resolutions we've got heading into this year? Uh, I think other than Chelsea winning all the trophies for me personally, I want to watch the <laughs> That's not play. a resolution. I know, I know. Saying that's just that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> that's a wish. <laughs> that's a wish. I know wish resolutions. <laughs> one or the other. And the only resolution I have is I'd like to see the women's team play live for the first time. It's probably the only res- main resolution I have from a football standpoint. And then, um, yeah, and then maybe just make more money through work so you know two very standard things there we go i mean i want to clarify abdullah means see the women play like in real life yeah in real life live not on the tv (laughs) otherwise this whole podcast would be a total bust i mean i would have to respect you because that would have been an incredible (laughs) bit to have done the the con the two three-year con of just just guessing things it will be impressive, but no, we're we're hoping we'll see Abdullah at Kings Meadow at some point before the season ends. Um, fingers crossed for that. Um, my main New Year's resolution was to try and spend less time on my phone. It's not going very well so far. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, I want to try and get off Twitter a bit, but um, there we go. We you know we keep trying. We keep trying throughout the year. Um, we should say we've got some congratulations to give out. Firstly, congratulations to Millie Bright, who was given an OBE. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, it's a slightly controversial uh, award. I'm not sure I personally agree with it. It stands for Order of the British Empire. I'm sure you can figure out why some people see it as controversial. But to lots of people in England, it's a very big deal. Um, So congratulations to Millie for getting that. Also, congratulations to... Lauren James, Sam Kerr and Ashley Lawrence, who have all been nominated for the FIFA Pro World Eleven. Um, definitely, we were definitely one of the teams with, with the most players, which is cool to see. I think Barcelona probably pipped us. They had quite a lot in there. I will say, Abdullah, I know this is voted for by players. So to, on one hand, you're like, okay, like it's voted by the players. Good for them. On the other hand, you're like, well, how much football do some of these players watch? But I've got to say, it is bonkers to me that Jess Carter didn't make this list. Yeah, it was really weird because, I mean, the season that Jess had with the World Cup that she had, starting at centre-back, getting to the final, winning the league, kind of everything in her rise as being Chelsea's, one of the most Chelsea's more reliable players from from out of nowhere at at, at her age is, has been phenomenal. So it was really, really weird how she just didn't make it. And then even for England, it was like, like, she went from being all right. You're just kind of in the squad. All right, cool. We have we have an injury or we have a we have rotation, and suddenly she goes, "Oh, actually, uh, you know, I'm really really good." And then she just stays in the team. And then it's the funny thing is, they accommodated everybody else to make her fit in, rather than making her the one that has to be accommodated. You know, like it was it was a crazy turn of events. So I'm I'm actually really really surprised that that she didn't get uh, she didn't get. Um, uh, picked but it is what it is here at blue royalty we put respect on jess carter's name and that can be a new resolution for everyone heading <laughs> heading into 2024 i'm sure there's only bigger better things to come but thank you for joining us for this first episode of the year we are going to do a little bit of a 
what's coming up in January slash Chelsea returning from Christmas. Look at the pre-season training camp in Morocco. Chelsea were flying out there today. Um, some of the sort of transfer speculation that's surrounding the club um, links to Maela Lacra and also obviously Sam Kerr's contract to talk about. And then we'll finish off just having a look at January as a whole and, and some of the players who might be coming back into the squad who can make a real impact. But let's kick off with the training camp. Um, yeah, Chelsea heading for this warm weather training camp in Morocco. Quite a few WSL teams doing this, going away for a bit. Um, it's interesting, Abdullah, isn't it? I feel like on the one hand, I look out my window and see how miserable the wind and rain is here. I think it makes sense to go and get some warm weather training in Morocco. But at the same time, it, it can be obviously like not disruption for players, but you are taking them away sort of for an extended period of time. Where do you stand sort of on on going away at this time of year? Yeah, I think, I mean, I understand the reason why you're going to go away on warm weather training because you want to be able to run around and almost train a bit more freely. But at the end of the day, you're going to come back and play in the cold. So um, I think, I think, Reacclim- I, I don't I mean probably you better better judge on this than, than I will, but uh, maybe reacclimatizing back to the cold weather after spending a period in the warmer weather, quote unquote, is maybe a be a little bit more difficult. And then the way they train and the way they do things will be different. Um also then there is the traveling part of it. It's not like they're going within Europe, which is only a couple of hours away. They are going to like northern Africa, which is probably still a good five, six hour flight away uh from from the uk so it's not a it's not an easy trip at all however at the same time it's probably good for them to kind of get a change of scenery kind of a mental break from from england and 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 kind of even though they were they were off for a couple of weeks um they were still most of the time within the country um and so giving getting out for a couple of weeks doing some training kind of resetting i think is is probably a good thing for uh for them overall so yeah i think i think i think it's a good thing but um i would just maybe be wary of um of uh, how much um you know how, how much that that affects their like actual training and 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 how they acclimatize coming back yeah spare a thought for cat macario who spent christmas in morocco seemingly flew back to england before flying straight back to morocco uh, i don't know if i feel too sorry for her uh but that <laughs> that is um quite a bit of a journey back and forth but i i agree with you i think mentally the opportunity to be in a different space can be really sort of beneficial in terms of you know it's a classic like work thing isn't it when you go get sent on an away day to figure stuff out I think having the winter break in the WSL is a really good opportunity to see the season as these two distinct halves and it's something that Emma Hayes has spoken about in an interview that went out on the Chelsea website yesterday I think um you know really focusing in on what the second half of the season means and and what they're looking ahead to do and I think sometimes having that sort of physical distance can make it easier to delineate that and I also think you know it's worth giving players a longer time off. Like I'm aware of some WSL clubs who had their players sort of back in training on like the 28th of December, um, which I just think is like absolutely bonkers. I think being able to give players a longer bit of rest and then say, okay, and then we're going to go away and we're going to work together as a group. um, I think it's a sensible way to do it. It's also allowed us to spot who's going there. I don't know how much to read into spotting people going on training camps, Abdullah, because You've got no idea. Well, I mean, I guess hopefully we'll see maybe a bit more, but we don't know 
how involved they might be in the training camp itself. But we have seen sort of some of the big absentees from the first half of the season. Yelena Shankovic, Millie Bright, Kat Makario, Meli Loipoltz, all in photos. Um, I guess what you hope is that these are players who are potentially either ready to be back in the squad or at least very close. And this might be the first opportunity for a player like Macario, for example, to actually be in full team training. Yeah, I think I think for, for those players specifically, I think you're right. I think it's more of a, all right, the fact that they're in training, especially for the longer term absentees in, in Macario and, and, and Kankovic, that we finally get to see them that, okay, they're, they're available in the fact that they're training with the group, which means that they are not too far off full fitness or they are in a position where they're able to start getting into match day squads and maybe having smaller cameos. So I think in that sense, I think it's, it's really, really good because I mean, the, the winter break was what a couple of weeks long, you know? So like between when, where they were before the break and after the break, like how much has that changed? Because they probably weren't training and doing as much rehab in general, just because it's the holiday season. Um, so how much of the recovery has actually gone forward in those two, three weeks? So I, I think I think I'd just be I, I agree with you, I'd be wary of that uh over there. But um it's just good to see that that the squad's back, right? I mean, if 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 Cap wasn't there, I think we'd be more be more worried because how how bad is the injury that she still hasn't come back even in some sort of squad training? So the fact that she's there, Kankovic has kind of come back and kind of Maybe I think weirdly flown under the radar of not being in and around the squad. I think not much was talked about that. And I think um, she had a really, she had a decent preseason, had a good first couple of games, and then obviously just just dropped out of nowhere. Um, also, same thing with Melanie Loipols to come back. So I think while maybe Loipols and Kankovic were slightly underappreciated and, 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 and not really you know noticed as much maybe when they weren't there, I think we'll start understanding and, and appreciating how much we probably miss them once the season starts. Because as Emma Hayes has said, there's a lot more games to play in the second half of the season. So I think their impact is going to be a lot more noticeable going forward now. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think players like Trankovic and Loipoltz, it's quite hard to sort of understand why we haven't seen them because the information we've obviously got around them has been very limited. And so therefore it's also tricky to think about what kind of role they're going to have in the second half of the season. I mean, Millie Bright too potentially falls into that category when you've just sort of got like nebulous knee problems. Uh, my working theory at the, this point in time is that when Millie Bright and Alexia Butea shared the golden boot at the Arnold Clark Cup, it um, linked them together forever. And now they've just got these mysterious knee injuries where no one really knows what's happened. Um, I don't know what this means going forward for the both of them, but I hope we find out soon. Let's talk about what's on maybe Chelsea's to-do list in this camp. Um, and I want us to base this around something that Yash, who we've had on the show a number of times, has been putting out um, to feed us all during this footballless time. Um, Yash has been putting out these charts, which are a really neat way of showing how a team performed last year based on a number of different metrics versus how they're performing this year. He's done it for a load of clubs, um, but obviously we're going to talk specifically about the Chelsea one. I think this pretty much summed up something that, you know, most fans will have noticed and felt things that we've talked about. He kind of summarised it as saying, 
Chelsea have improved their on-ball numbers, things like XG, passes, penalty box entries, but defensively they are giving up more XG and they've already conceded 11 goals, which is the same number they conceded in the entirety of 21-22. I mean, the goals conceded thing I'm a bit more uh, nonplussed about because ultimately sometimes you're going to concede more or less goals based on luck as opposed to chance generated but I think everyone knows we are giving away more chances than um, we have in the past and indeed we would like to so Abdullah what, what do you sort of make of this summary and, and what do you think Chelsea need to focus on in this time away? I yeah I think I agree I think I think with the chances conceded I think it's kind of been a mixture of Obviously, like you said, a little bit of luck and a little bit of game state uh, that's there. But I also think the fact that we've kind of had a choppy, changey backline a little bit with kind of Millie being there and then going away. And then you, you kind of had this weird rotation of center backs between um, Mielda coming in for some games, um, uh, uh, Kadisha Buchanan coming in for some games, and it kind of getting mixed around. And I think that probably hasn't helped. And obviously, we've had changing goalkeeper semi-regularly. So I, I and, and then obviously the fullbacks keep changing with oh, Neve weirdly enough, I think Jess Carter and Neve Charles are probably the only two prominent members of a back four that are constantly there. Whereas the other two positions, three positions by include the goalkeeper, are almost like on a rotation basis and you kind of don't know who's going to play. So I would kind of maybe attribute it a little bit of the uh XG against and 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 their chances conceded down to the fact of the lack of a a bit more of a stable back five, uh, including the keeper. Like if Millie Bright's there, you basically know that just cards of Millie Bright and say Neve Charles is your set three of five. And then maybe two positions, albeit the keeper being a very, very key one, are the only two that kind of get shifted around if need be, right? For the most part. So I think that's I think that's probably an important caveat. But um I think probably for me what I would say is kind of the most important thing is I would like to see, um, I think I'd like to see the, the attacking, uh, not even the attacking and I think chances created. I think for me that build up in midfield, I think we've kind of come up on a gem in, in Shurkaniskin and Aaron Cuthbert as a double pivot. But I think depending on the games that we have coming up, I would ideally like to see, um, ideally like to see us maybe play a double pivot based on the merit of the game rather than just starting the same two every single time because different games call for different type of midfielders. And if we have Kankovic, Leupels, Nuskin, um, Aaron Kasper, et cetera, et cetera, in this midfield, you know, Frank Kirby in these midfield positions, it becomes super important to kind of understand, okay, who do we have? What's there? Um, what can we, you know, what can we, um, what can we do and which is the best combination to break down scenes? Because sometimes we've seen that you just play the same, same, same. Everybody understands how they play and then they can easily shut them down. Right. And I think that becomes important to change. So, and, and, and then build up becomes a problem and chance creation. Then you're relying on Lauren James or girl right to do something out wide. And then the further you take the ball away, there's less chances in the middle. So I, I would, I would kind of maybe look at, look at that and 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 see i mean if we look at yash's chart here right he's like the switch of passes is still relatively the same the pass completion rates kind of gone a little bit higher and there's more pass volume so i guess that's because of you know uh, nuskin and all that coming in and the crosses has gone up a little bit but 
all of these things are like small incremental increases for the most part. And I'd like to see maybe a little bit more of that going into the second half of the season. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's a lot of things you touched on there, which which is really important. I think overall, you know, the headline is everyone would like us to get defensively tighter. I definitely think defending in transition is something that it feels like we've really struggled with this season. And I don't know how much that is a personnel thing. I think it would be silly to like, overlook the fact that Millie hasn't played for a big chunk of the season so far and I think sometimes it's easy maybe especially because she missed the end of last season to like sort of overlook how big a loss that is I I think again sometimes these players who like I, I think Chelsea fans understand how important she is but I think sometimes from an outside perspective these players who are maybe seen as being less fashionable um sometimes don't get like recognized as being like such important misses but like this is someone who's been the linchpin of of our defense and we've effectively obviously with Ericsson going in the summer as well lost for most of the season lost two players who were really really big parts of that and I think it's clear that Hayes has sort of been figuring out who does she want more in there alongside Jess is it Marami Elder is it Kadisha Buchanan when we all know ultimately she wants Millie Bright in there so you know, I think that's something that hopefully if Millie comes back that um, we can rely on a bit more going forward. And it's so hard to know with Millie Bright, you know, how much of that injury is sort of like as much precautionary as it is something that she's coming back from. You know, how much is this like discomfort that they want to prevent becoming something else? Because I guess my hope would be was that they took her out and rested her for the end of the first half of the season so that we know we could have a fit for the second half of the season. Who knows exactly whether that's the case. We'll probably never entirely find out. But I think that would be an interesting thing to see. I think the other really interesting thing, which I hope will maybe improve some of our defensive performances, is potentially trusting Shokunuskan to play as the DM a bit more. I think when the brief bits we've seen of sort of Nuskan and Cuthbert together as players who can sort of both sit and go like that's improved a lot in quite a short space of time I think when you think back to sort of the first Spurs game and, and maybe how that looked and I do think Nuskin is someone who even though she's struggled in some games obviously the Arsenal game I think was a big case of that she's also shown growth um at a very young age in a very tough league so I'm I'd like to see that and potentially also if we have players like Chankovic and Loipolz coming back having them hold on to the ball more Generally, like where I've ended up a bit on this is feeling like by the end of last season, we had sort of pivoted away from attack almost entirely. Our attack was incredibly stagnant. When you think about, for example, the 1-0 win over United against uh, the 1-0 win over United at Kings Meadow, just trying to put these long balls in over the top. And I mean, I've, <laughs> I've got to give them credit uh, United fell for it about four times in that game and, and Kerr eventually scores from, from the amazing James Ball, but like she could have had three or four because they they kept falling for it and we were happy to sit back. You know, we saw this sort of again in, in the Lyon game with, with less success going forward, equally in Barcelona, against Barcelona. That was all about just sitting back and defending. I feel like we tried to sort of loosen things up to set players free a bit more uh, at the start of this season to generate more chances in attack. And we have done that. I don't think there's any doubt that we've done that. But football is a balancing act, isn't it? And currently, we've still just not... At the end of last season, I think we've gone too far one way. I think the beginning of this season, we've gone too far the other. And now it's about finding where that balance lies. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think being able to 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 
find out that balance, as you said, I think becomes important because, um, you know, not, not necessarily, I think, I think from a, from a Champions League point of view, especially, I think being able to do one thing really well doesn't exactly help. Like if you're good at one, really good at one thing and kind of okay at the other thing, we've seen that it only gets you so far. And if you're like more clinical, okay, Leon, we went to penalties and won it there thanks to AKB at the end, right? So I could have easily gone 50-50, could have gone the other way. Leon got a one and season's over right there. He gets to Barcelona, right? You you know you're going to get uh, a few chances to score and maybe in the first leg you could have maybe had a bit more uh, of a clinical thing there, maybe create a bit, better chances. But okay, you find you, you lost that narrowly 1-0. You go to camp. You get the goal or th- that you kind of need to kind of stay in the tie, but then you obviously ultimately you you lose out uh, towards the end. But there are key games like that where if you have a bit more of a balance, where you are both decently good at the defending side of the game, the creation in the middle, and then maybe the the attacking part, you have a better chance of winning the overall game. I know it's a very easy thing to say, and it's probably a very obvious thing to say, but if you're really good at defending and you can't finish, there's no point in your defending because you're not really winning the game. But if you're really good at attacking, you may win three out of five games, but then maybe when it comes down to it, how often are you going to rely on outscoring your opponent? Like you're not going to have a, a three, two or a five, four every single time for every single game, right? It becomes very, very difficult. So you almost put yourself in a very difficult situation. So, so I think, yeah, finding that right balance of both um, I think become of the whole thing kind of becomes very, very, very key. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting is it feels like to me, and this is something that um, Grace Robertson actually wrote about Liverpool men's team um, in her Substack today, but but about how if you're a team that's sort of great at attacking but not as good defensively, you open yourself up to more variance because you don't have control of games. And when I I read that, and it made me think of the Arsenal game because I don't think anyone's like under the illusion that Arsenal are a significantly better team than Chelsea. In fact, I would potentially suggest the opposite. But that's exactly the kind of game where by being a team who's good at going forward and struggling to defend, you open yourself up to conceding loads and loads of chances and not then being able to, to chance create. And I think that's... That's something where things have gone a little bit awry for us and it'll be interesting to see uh, how Hayes can sort of figure that out um, because she doesn't have much time left in the job. Um, All right, let's take a ad break here and then we come back, we'll dive into some of the transfer gossip. So January is a window that Chelsea are normally quite quiet in. Um, We know that they tend to sort of like to track players over a... A year or two period and normally January signings tend to either be players who are going to come in actually in the summer. Um, we saw that obviously with Nicky Everard or players who are sort of more like younger players. Obviously, Micah Hamano came in in January before immediately going out on loan. But things seem to be a little bit different this January, mainly because of the unique now on ACL injury. Emma Hayes said... Um, in this interview that she did with the website, we prepared well, but I'm not saying we won't go to the transfer market in January with Anique being out. It might be something we look at. And this has sort of been combined with Emma Sanders, who, as I'm sure many of you know, is probably the most reliable journalist, I would say, when it comes to uh, transfers 
saying that Chelsea are pursuing France and Montpellier defender Maëlle Lacroix, who was someone who attracted a lot of attention at the World Cup. She can play at centre-back and full-back, 23 years old. Um, and Emma basically said in her piece they're looking to add squad depth following recent injuries to Anique and Millie Bright. Um, what do you sort of make of this, Abdullah? First of all, give us you know your sort of take on... Lacroix for anyone who doesn't know she's a bit of a hipster's favorite I would suggest <laughs> yeah just just a little bit Montpellier seemed to be uh that one club that able to pull out defenders they had Sakina Kashawi before um they they still have uh Marianne Torrent who was in and around the French team up until about a year ago um and now obviously they have my Lacroix over there as well She's um really young, competent center back. Had a, had a de- actually I thought had a really decent World Cup, all things considered. Um, really good at playing out from the back. Uh, measured in her approach and kind of I think a lot of people when they saw her for the first time at the World Cup, they would have seen her at right back playing for France and kind of thinking, is this really the right back? You know, you know. And everybody, you know, a lot of people I spoke to initially who weren't really aware of her were like is she a right back? Like, it just seems like she's a right back. Like, no, actually she's the center back. that's just being plugged into right back, you know? Um, and then when she moved to center back, everyone was like, Oh, okay. This is why she's been so hyped. Right. So I think she's really for her age. I think she's got really good composure. Um, she complimented Wendy Renard really well. So I think someone like Millie Bright next to her, I think is, is a really good compliment. And um, I just think she has a, a lot of room to to develop and improve. And and if and I mean I, th- I believe while Chelsea are looking at her, I think she's she's Barcelona are looking at her as an option as well. So if that's selling you something, if Barcelona are also looking at her for uh, a position at centre back, then uh, you know that you've got a player there. Now. So for me, I, I actually do think her profile fits really well, um, and kind of is in the mold of what Chelsea look for in a centre back. Someone who's really good with the ball at their feet is a very competent defender, and she's actually not too bad in the air as well. So it it, it helps at set pieces both defensively and offensively. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think overall, I think I think it's a really good. Uh, opportunity and I think that's something that Chelsea probably in the January window um, maybe haven't done too much before obviously like you said they like to do extensive scouting and extensive uh, looking up on the player but I think in someone like Lacroix I think there is a there is a gem there to be taken and I think whoever picks her up now really has her best years ahead of her and I think her value only goes up and over the years yeah I think it's a very interesting possible move. Obviously, you said Barcelona potentially interested in her, um, but it would be intriguing sort of with their financial situation, how that might impact them. You would assume that Chelsea are probably in a position to at least offer more. Um, but obviously, Mapillon due to be out for pretty much the entire season, uh, having had to have surgery. So, you know, they, they're kind of in a similar boat to us, although clearly with a, a much more prominent defender for them than, than us with Anique. I definitely think Lacroix is a clever fit to this if we were able to get her. I think she, like you've just said, Abdullah, she's, she's obviously a long-term option here I don't think she's the finished article yet but that's fine I don't think that's an issue at all um and I definitely think when you look at sort of because also this is the weird position that we're now in with Hayes leaving it's almost like I've started to move away from looking at these players as like how will they fit into a Hayes system and be like okay how do they fit into the longer term future of the squad and you'd kind of assume that I think even, you know, pre-ACL most people assume that Anique Naun didn't really have a future necessarily at, at Chelsea anyway 
Um, I think equally, Marmielder, it's fair to assume, isn't sort of going to be around in the long term. And then even someone like Millie, who I think has a number of good years still ahead of her, she's still sort of 30. So then when you're looking at those younger defensive options that, that we have, you know, Jess Carter is, I think, going to become the leader in in that sort of uh, centre-back line, which is really exciting. And I think um, something she feels like she's getting more and more prepared for with every passing game. But there's a real opening, I think, for an established player in that sort of age bracket to come in. And I think that's why if Chelsea could get Lacrosse, she's someone who feels like fits both short-term and long-term goals. Whereas I think if there wasn't that sort of option there. I don't think Chelsea would like force themselves into making a move because kind of, I mean, who knows sort of internally what their assessment of Bright is. I guess that's like sort of the the kind of elephant in the room in this discussion. But I think if you assume that Bright is going to play a part in the second half of the season, being without Nowon, I think is a bit of a, not excuse, because I can see why they'd want to bolster it. But let's be real. If Bright, Carter, Buchanan and Mielder are fit for the whole season, how many minutes are you thinking now one's going to get anyway? So maybe it, maybe it says more about Millie than than we think that, that they're interested in this. Maybe it's just an opportunity um, to move at a time where they think it would be useful to go and get her. One sort of interesting element of it as well is what does this mean for the squad? And I think the answer to this is probably no one really knows. So um, there's obviously two sort of long-term injuries in Svikova and Nowon. Uh, and I assume neither of them are registered to play or like, and Nowon will obviously have been deregistered as it were. Um, and that sort of allowed space for Micah Hamano to come into the squad. Um, but what's kind of interesting is that sort of leaves the squad full but the question here, I guess, is whether there are, and I just don't think we're going to know this, um, is whether there are sort of players registered as under 21s and you're allowed to have as many sort of under 21 academy players as you want. So it's feasible. Aggie Beaver-Jones could be registered in this way. Keris Brown, for example, is certainly registered this way. Georgia Fox, if she comes back from her ACL, she could be registered in this way. But there is there is a question mark. Michael Hamano could be registered in this way. The other option, I guess, Abdullah, is whether there was going to be an out in January. Is that something that, that you think you could see happening? Um, I mean, I wouldn't possibly rule it out because when you look at the chart that we have of all the players that are here, there are a lot of players. And then when you kind of look at um, if they want to bring in a player, you know, who realistically is registered under 21, who isn't, who's part of the first, you know, it's, it, it, all those questions come into play. But if I'm looking at the entire squad in general, right, I don't actually see who actually leaves, right? Because in some sense, every single one of these players has been played and used, right? Like to, to, to a different degree, but they've all been used. Like me, official plays regularly. Lopez will play when she comes back. Buchanan has start, started playing a few games every now, uh, more often than not now. Eve Paris and Ashley Lawrence keep switching up at right back and left back. Johannes and Canard has become like a first team starting player, you know, and you can kind of go, Aggie Beaver Jones has become this impact sub for Chelsea, like pretty much every game. Right. And Makari is going to come back. So I don't realistically see anybody actually leaving because all the players that could have left have left on loan. If you look at the 10 players that have gone, um, and and if we're looking at those the academy players that are there, your your Georgia Foxes, Sarah Browns, Ashanti Akpan, and Amy Claypole, they're obviously like you said registered under under twenty ones. 
Maybe Aggie Beaver Jones is registered there as well, you know, possibly, even though she's a first teamer, maybe that then helps accommodate, um, you know, uh, Amaya Lacroix coming in. So it is complicated. I just, I don't think I see anybody. I think, I think it's just going to be more age jugglery in terms of who gets registered where to, to accommodate a Lacroix rather than anybody actually going out because I, even if players are going to go, I don't see anybody leaving until the summer because if Chelsea want to mount this this almost quadruple, if you want to call it, uh, trophy uh, aim, then you're going to need every single one of these players. Yes. Uh, I, it would definitely be intriguing to see if anyone goes. I certainly think uh, Chelsea, I'm sure, are okay enough with the rules to figure out whatever they need to figure out to get players in I guess one option would be whether Hannah Hampton for example went on loan that would obviously free out a space and you know something that has been suggested but then she's off to Morocco so kind of seems unlikely on on that front if that's um, something she was going to go and do it feels like that that would be sort of happening around now Um, one sort of further update as well that Emma Sanders mentioned in her piece was that Chelsea are in conversation with Sam Kerr about a new contract also had it confirmed that Christy Muse's West Ham deal is 18 months, so that does run until 2025. So, I don't know, I feel like I don't want to jinx it, but it does feel a case of, like, when rather than if, unless Sam Kerr is going to go and play in America and leave Christy at West Ham, which, I mean, obviously, from a Chelsea perspective, I would absolutely hate, but I would have to laugh at. <laughs> it's Christy comes all the way from the US, leaves New York. Sounds like I like long distance. I'm going. (laughs) I'm going. I can't do this. Comes from New York all the way to London to go with Sam. And Sam goes, see you later. And then she just goes the opposite direction. I I highly doubt that's going to be the case, especially with their engagement and the whole thing that's happened. I, I really don't see why Sam... I think, if anything, Sam almost definitely signing this contract and her intention to stay on was done the minute Christy signed for West Ham. Because... Of all places to go to, I don't think Christy was short of options. Let's just let's put it. I don't really don't think if Christy wanted to go to, I don't know, she wanted a nice getaway in Italy and wanted to join Roma. I'm pretty sure Roma would have signed her, right? Like you know, anybody in the in the NWSL would have taken her, but she chose to come to London and West Ham. One of the options that she had. And she took it, right? West Ham are batting for relegation. She won the she won the NWSL Championship last season. And she's going to a struggling relegation-threatened West Ham as commitment to the relationship. So, Sam, you better do it, do a job, sign the contract. Christy's done you a massive favor here by joining them. So you better stay for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed that might be um, something we hear more news about soon. Uh, let's take another ad break then, and we'll just finish off after this with a little bit of chat about the second half of the season. One of the things Emma Hayes also mentioned in this little interview she did was that Kat and Micah are going to feel like new signings for us. So clearly, obviously, Micah is going to be sticking around the squad, which is really, really exciting, I think. Um, she says that's why we built the squad like this. That I don't really understand because I'm like, no one builds a squad so that like your star signing in the summer only comes back in January. But like, sure, Emma, whatever you say, this was all part of the master plan. Um, what do you think these two players are gonna add? They're obviously both offensive players, and we've talked already in this episode about how you know offensively, like Chelsea maybe looked at their best, but obviously we know that. In this part of the season, injuries can bite. Rotation is really, really key. And 
Also, sometimes it's like good to be able to take some pressure of other players, other newer players coming in, but also there's not a load of players, load of pressure necessarily on those new players themselves. Yeah, exactly. I think um, because most of the players have been there, and, and 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 some of the new signings that were playing from from the summer have integrated and they've settled. It just, like you said, I think it just puts less pressure on the newer players coming in. So someone like me, official and Shukanuskin. And Ashley Lawrence can can help Cat, you know, and and to an extent, Micah, settle into the team. Like, look, obviously, we've been here for six months now. We've been playing in this team. We've been, I, I, you know, we've been in and around dressing room, and you know, we've really been in the thick of things. It becomes a lot easier for them to kind of go to them and kind of get that advice. And it's easier when you have to when when one or two people have to settle in amongst a group of people who have already settled. But once you start having a bigger group of unsettled people over the settled people, I think then it becomes a little bit nervy. Um, and so, and I think, look, both of them are so talented that once they start playing more regular minutes in the team, um, they themselves will automatically be able to um, be guided by the players around them. I mean, you know, if, if Mike is coming on and playing next to Fran Kirby in a similar position, I mean, what better person to learn off of and kind of play in and around than, you know, than Frank Kirby, if you're Mike Hamano. Same thing for Kat as well, like coming in, playing alongside a friend or in, you know, behind a, a Sam Kerr, you suddenly then start understanding slowly but surely, okay, how they play. And when the players around you are comfortable to play in and around and kind of maybe not cover your mistakes per se, but like kind of like you can kind of do your thing without worrying too much because you've got the safety net around you. I think then it just becomes a lot easier to kind of play and settle in and and really um, show kind of what you really are uh, capable of doing. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Macario is someone I'm really excited to see, but also someone who I think we're probably going to need to be really patient with. Um, she's obviously had such a long time out. We've talked extensively about what we think she can do. You can go back and listen to the episode we did um, when she signed. Obviously, Abdullah, a bit of Macario expert, having watched her a lot when she was at Leon, but um yeah I I think it would just be a massive boost to really feel like uh like she's arrived um which I think is gonna be really really exciting but I think even more actually what's gonna be really interesting and, and you sort of touched on it there that like lots of these players have sort of been been coming in into the team already they're gelling and actually that's almost what I'm more excited about like obviously love Micah and Kat really excited to see what they can do but seeing how Ashley Lawrence how Shukanuskin how these sorts of players look in the second half of the season I think is even more crucial because I think both Lawrence and Nuskin have shown you know these flashes of like looking really really great uh, in the system, but you've also seen moments where you're like, yes, these are two players getting to know their teammates, getting to know how Hayes wants them to play, and hopefully, actually, it's the, it's this bit where we maybe really see them kick on as well. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I think once you've had a period of the way these players have settled in, and to kind of take a break, come back, and kind of then develop that even more, and you know, every game, every training session, every moment together just kind of builds that bond and builds that chemistry. And I mean, we're probably going to see an Ashley Lawrence and a Shukanuskin who can now have taken have taken a break and be able to assess how their first few months went. How does everybody play? Work on that, come back. And, you know, we should start seeing them really integrate more, really have some more consistent performances and um, and kind of they know where they stand now, right? Like Ashley maybe, uh, Ashley maybe, 
knows that she's got tough competition with Eve because she hasn't started maybe as many games and they've kind of been really equal in terms of who's playing and who's not playing. So that that squad competition goes up. Um, Shuka has played in multiple different positions and kind of maybe maybe now going into the second half of the season, kind of going back to the point you made, maybe being trusted more as a DM. Maybe now that MSC in her first six months goes, okay, now I want you to maybe play in this certain role and you know, you kind of you kind of take that for yourself, and then she understands how that works. So overall, I think I'm I'm excited for all of that as well. And then and then I think the biggest thing is everybody got a rest. Sam probably needed the rest out of everybody else, but everybody got a rest. Now we get to see this hundred percent version of everybody going into some key games in the next month. Definitely. And it's a very busy January, at least, we're really straight back into it. So obviously, they're on this warm weather training camp. First game back is against West Ham in the FA Cup at Kings Meadow. But then this run of fixtures sort of in there's six days, we've got three matches in basically. Um, We've actually got four sort of over nine days, but we've got United at the bridge, Real Madrid at the bridge and then Brighton away. And we know Brighton away is a game where historically we've struggled. Um, This little run feels like it's so, so crucial to get right. I'm quite glad that we've got the West Ham game first because I know some people would have preferred an easier FA Cup game against a team who was maybe a bit lower down. But I think there'll be value in playing a WSL side, albeit not a amazing WSL side, although I am concerned about their new signing bounce that they're on. Um, Obviously, Mewis... Uh, although whether she'll be fit enough to play will be interesting. Zadorski's joined from Spurs on loan, and there's a couple more incomings, I believe. Um, I think one of which will might be announced by the time you hear this podcast. Um, but I think that's it's worth getting those minutes in their legs rather than, for example, playing like uh, money fields or whatever, and just having like a total like non-entity of game. Better almost to play a half decent team ahead of playing a. Slightly more decent team in Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like getting those. Um, it's getting that 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 almost like a weirdly like uh, an intense. Obviously, not a preseason game, but like it's your final preseason game. You're back in playing a really solid team. You're getting the the energy in the legs, and um, I'm not saying it's a throwaway game, but it's like you want to make mistakes. You make it in this game, right? It's it's your kind of game to kind of throw all the mistakes out, get the rust back in, and then you go into the big run of games in United, Real Madrid, Brighton, you know, and then and then obviously Paris and, and Everton right after that. So, um, yeah, no, I think with the social media FC, now that they're going to have all this engagement with, with Christy there, um, no, I think, I think, I think it's a good, it's good to have it. And it's good because it's a difficult, it's a, it's a WSL team that isn't very difficult, but it's still a WSL team. So they have to take it seriously to some extent. So um, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a good uh, game before the the big running games. Definitely. All right, that wraps us up for today. Then, and we're going to come back for you soon. We're going to do a little loney roundup. There's a lot of players to to catch up on, so we're going to dive into how their season's been going. Hopefully, do a little mailbag as well for you before uh, we get back for that West Ham game. So have a think if you've got any questions you want to ask. We'll put a tweet out about that. But for now, Abdullah, thank you for joining me as always. Thank you very much. And we'll be back with you guys very soon. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.